brought them into our fellowship. It's just been a great uh, blessing to us, and I keep using that word blessing. But uh, Paul and Claire do the uh, Three Strands Ministry, which is the third Saturday evening of every month downstairs in the fellowship hall, and it really is a lot of fun. They're doing it your way to a better marriage. It's very funny. Uh, so, you know, without further ado, I just want to say that Paul is a pastor. He's a Calvary Chapel pastor. God has chosen to ordain him. He's been a pastor for these four years now. And without further ado, I'm just telling you regarding Paul is his heart. When he preaches and when you meet him in person, the man has a heart of gold and he's a really humble man. So I just want you to give a warm welcome to Pastor Paul Cardillo. So I was considering using this to, right? So the expectation, right? The stature would match the expectations. But I don't want to be taller than Pastor Joe because I hear that that's, you, you're not supposed to be taller than your senior pastor. So. But um, it really is an, an awesome privilege and pleasure to be before you guys. I'm getting to know a lot of you since we've been here for about uh, almost a year, actually. And uh, it is a pleasure to be here with you. But this morning, uh, if you have your Bibles... Open to Ecclesiastes chapter 2, Old Testament, wisdom literature, right after um, Proverbs. And we're going to read through verses 1 through 11. Now, please bear with me. I'm going to read in the New Living Translation. You guys are probably using the New King James or the King James. And I will be sort of going back and forth between the different translations. But I wanted to let you hear what this translation sounds like. Because it sort of brings it up to date and uh, it gives it better application to our lives. So, in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Solomon writes, I said to myself, come now, let's give pleasure a try. Let's look for the good things in life. But I found that this too was meaningless. It's silly to be laughing all the time, I said. What good does it do to seek only pleasure? After much thought, I decided to cheer myself with wine. While still seeking wisdom, I clutched at foolishness. In this way, I hoped to experience the only happiness most people find during their brief life in this world. I also tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself and by planting beautiful vineyards. I made gardens and parks, filling them with all kinds of fruit trees. I built reservoirs to collect the water to irrigate my many flourishing groves. I bought slaves, both men and women, And others were born into my household. I also owned great herds and flocks, more than any of the kings who lived in Jerusalem before me. I collected great sums of silver and gold, the treasures of many kings and provinces. I hired wonderful singers, both men and women, and had many beautiful concubines. I had everything a man could desire. So I became greater 
than any of the kings who ruled in Jerusalem before me. And with it all, I remained clear-eyed so that I could evaluate all these things. Anything I wanted, I took. I did not restrain myself from any joy. I even found great pleasure in hard work, an additional reward for all my labors. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless. It was like chasing the wind. There was really nothing worthwhile anywhere. I came across this, uh, this article uh, dated uh, 2007, December in 2007. And it says, Tom Brady, the three-time Super Bowl champion quarterback of the New England Patriots, was featured in a 60, 60 Minutes interview with Steve Croft on CBS. Brady is already a sports legend in Boston. He's won the Super Bowl MVP twice and been named to the Pro Bowl four times. He was also recently named Associated Press Male Athlete of the Year. He's dated actresses and supermodels and makes millions of dollars a year. He's been called America's most eligible bachelor. And by most popular standards, he has it all. But listen to one of his quotes during this interview. Brady says, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life. Me, I think, God, it's got to be more than this. I mean, this isn't, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. Wow, coming from somebody like that, just understanding or maybe beginning to understand that it isn't all about that. What gives life meaning? Will enough friends or fame or fortune lead to true happiness? Will success, achievements, or recognition from others bring significance to our lives? How about just pure pleasure, just self-indulgence, and hedonism, will that bring about the answers that we seek in this life? All good questions. And Solomon asked all of these questions. The only difference between him and us is that we may ask these questions. Solomon actually tested them all, tried them all out. And none of them were able to fulfill his life. Nothing Solomon did in earthly pleasures was able to give his existence meaning and worth. As a little background, just to get you up to date on who King Solomon is and what this book of Ecclesiastes is all about, King Solomon was King David's son, and he wrote this book toward the end of his life as a record of his lifelong search for significance his journey for enjoyment, and his seeking after satisfaction. It's a journal of all that he did and tried in order to find some purpose and meaning in his life. And it can all really be summed up in one sentence, the whole book of Ecclesiastes. And that is that this life under the sun is vain and futile apart from God. And only in that relationship with God can we really find true meaning. It's also an examination of humanistic philosophy and wisdom. 
And one of the key phrases that is often repeated throughout the book of Ecclesiastes is that phrase, under the sun. And that phrase means basically worldly pursuits. What worldly pursuits can man chase after that will bring him ultimate satisfaction? So as we go through, think about that under the sun phrase and what that means. You know, as humans, we tend to look at most things in life in the context of the natural. And that's just the way we, we sort of roll. But as Christians, we're supposed to look at things in the eternal. You know, Paul writes in Colossians 3, to set your mind on things above and not on things of the earth. You know, there's a saying that says... Uh, you're, you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. I don't believe, I don't ascribe to that saying. I think if we are heavenly minded, we will be more earthly good than anyone can even imagine. To so set our minds on things above, not on things of the earth. And Solomon gives us an account. This whole book is an account of his research, laying out what he was searching for, where he found answers, and where his search went unfulfilled. It's a journal of his findings written at the end of his life after years of experience. And I think as we get older, and especially as we get older in the Lord as Christians, our experience should start to bring us more wisdom in what God wants to do in our lives and what this life is all about. We should get wiser, not just older. And he writes, he's writing this to really a, a younger and less experienced audience. But it can be for us too, because we never could do all the research that Solomon did. And we'll see that as we go through this teaching. And it's a warning. It's a warning for us to avoid searching for meaning in the things of this world. And I love the fact that because of Solomon's journey, we can be spared of the heartache of disappointment, frustration, and regret. We don't have to experience those things because Solomon already did it for us. And there's an account of it here. So by extension, he's writing to all of us. And you may ask how a book written 900 years before the birth of Christ has any significance or relevance to our life here in 2011. And I'll say to you, not much has changed in 3,000 years. Solomon writes about looking for love in all the wrong places. You know, there's a recent country song that speaks the same thing. He writes about how trying to find meaning in the things of this world. And we see that very same thing today. We may even be trying it ourselves. Or maybe we have in the past. Maybe we spent a good portion of our lives trying to find significance and meaning in the things of this world. And just think about the examples that are in the world today of this very same thing. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm tired of hearing about Charlie Sheen. <laughs> but, let, no, no. Let me say something. I'll let you in on a little preacher's secret. We always pray for God to give us examples to use in our messages. We pray for, for an illustration you know, that will apply it to people's lives, that they can understand. 
And I never would have imagined, as I started studying for this probably a couple of months ago, uh, that God would have given such an awesome illustration. But, you know, I think we should be praying for Charlie. Um, he seems totally lost, and yet he doesn't know it. And so he's really not that much different than Solomon. And we'll see exactly what Solomon did. And I don't want to exploit his, his troubles. I really don't. Um, so... You know, God has given us an example. You've seen probably on TV a lot of the different things that have been going on, and I, I didn't think it was going to end. I mean, last week it sort, of, it sort of slowed down, and all of a sudden everything picked up again with that illustration. So, so God knows. It's, it's apropos uh, for everything that he's been going through over the last few weeks that we, that we consider what Solomon has to say in Ecclesiastes 2. So just that, that as a background to, to Solomon and where he's coming from in writing this book. And then a little background to the book itself. In the first verse of the first chapter, it says, The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Now, just a little bit of Hebrew for you. The word preacher comes from koheleth, the word koheleth. And it means preacher or a public speaker or one who gathers, assembles, or collects. And certainly Solomon gathered all that he could regarding man's philosophy, pleasure-seeking, and the meaning of life. So in that regard, preacher uh, is, is an appropriate word. But I like what Ray Stedman writes in his book, is that, is this all there is to life? Which is a, actually a commentary on the book of Ecclesiastes. And speaking of the searching, it says, here is a searching mind that has looked all over, the, all over of life and observed what is behind the actions of people. So we get an insight in this book into the mind of possibly the wealthiest and wisest men who ever lived. And I think that's, that's just awesome that God gets, gives us an insight into that. Ecclesiastes chronicles Solomon's pursuits into his investigation, into finding the answer to the ultimate question, what does this all mean? That's the ultimate question. What is the meaning of all that we do in this life? And chapter 2 records his quest down the path of pleasure in order to find significance in life. He provides an account of his examination into the various ways Man has sought to find contentment and happiness. So, let's jump in. In verse, verses 1 and 2, and I read from the New Living Translation, but I'm going to go back now to the New King James so you can follow along. In verse 1 and 2, it says, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with mirth. Therefore, enjoy pleasure. But surely this also was vanity. I said of laughter, madness, and of mirth, what does it accomplish? So the first thing that Solomon tries to answer that big question in his life is just engage in fun and games, entertainment. That's really what mirth means, is entertainment. And we all do this to, to one extent or another. Uh, in the New King James, the word vanity is actually used three different ways in this book. And we're going to see how that's used as we go through it. But all of them refer to 
that phrase, under the sun. Under the sun. Anything that we do to try to fill our lives with pleasure in this world, any worldly pursuits are nothing but vanity, as Solomon writes. So vanity, first of all, refers to that, the fleeting nature of things under the sun. The fleeting nature of human accomplishments. You know, everything we do or accomplish in this life under the sun in worldly pursuits is temporary. It's like a vapor. It eventually goes away. You know, very few of us will ever have a mention in a history book. So when our life is ended, all of our worldly pursuits will end with us. Vanity can also mean futile or meaningless. And this is really just the curse of the condition of the universe because of sin. You know, everything we do or try to do in worldly pursuits is really meaningless in terms of eternity. What is really important. And that's what Solomon writes here when he speaks of just entertainment, mirth. It's all vanity. It's meaningless. And it also is vapor-like or fleeting. And then the third way that vanity is used, it can represent incomprehensible, something that we just can't wrap our minds around, something that we just cannot really understand. You know, meaning for this, the search for significance in the things of this world will actually leave us with more questions than it does answers. And because, because that's not where significance is found. What Solomon does is he lays out his conclusion at the beginning, and then he starts to describe for us the different steps that he took to come to that conclusion. And because Solomon already did the, re the research, we don't have to. I think it's important to note that we couldn't do all the research that Solomon did, even if we wanted to, because we are limited. We are limited. Solomon had no such limitations. You know, we may say, well, if I had an endless supply of cash, then I could experiment with different things in this world and I would eventually find that one combination of pleasures that would satisfy my needs for satisfaction. Well, Solomon had all the resources available to anybody and he didn't come to that conclusion. Maybe we'll say, we're not happy or fulfilled because we're poor. Or we're not happy because I come from a broken home. Or I don't have access to all the bells and whistles this world has to offer. Or if only I had this girl or this guy or this job, I'd be happy. And I really believe that that's why God had Solomon write this book. You see, because he did have access to everything under the sun. And he still wasn't satisfied. And his research into entertainment had brought him to the conclusion that laughter, just having a ball, just fun and games, didn't bring life meaning, didn't bring significance to his life, but it was just silly. Actually, literally in the Hebrew, uh, it, it says uh, to make a fool of is what it means, to act madly. It says laughter is madness. 
It just doesn't accomplish anything. Now, we can equate what Solomon tried to do in entertainment with just the way we sometimes just waste time in those entertainment things in our lives. And it's not to say that all forms of entertainment are bad. And certainly we need a break from the drudgery of every day. We need to sit and just sometimes, I, I just call it vegging out, you know, just doing something mindless. That's okay from time to time. It's just that if that becomes the majority of how we spend our free time, expecting fulfillment and satisfaction from that, we will be left disappointed. We will be left disappointed. Just like any other fleshly pursuit, it feels good at the time, but there's no lasting value. And that's exactly what Solomon found. So then in verse 3, he goes on and says, I searched in my heart how to gratify my flesh with wine, while guiding my heart with wisdom, how to lay hold of folly, till I might see what was good for the sons of men to do under heaven all the days of their lives. So we see this pursuit, this search for satisfaction continues. And what does he try next? He turns to alcohol. Mind-altering, whatever substance of choice it is, he decides he's going to try that. He figured he tried just innocent fun, and that didn't work. Now let's try fun in an altered state of consciousness. Maybe that would work. He found when he drank, he discovered a new level of confidence to express what he was experiencing, and it caused him, listen to what the result was, it caused him to seek after foolishness. Foolishness or folly. But he was determined to keep his wits about him, so he can continue this research and give us the results. You know, have you ever seen, experienced someone drunk trying to carry on a conversation or just do the normal day-to-day -day things? They think they're in full control of their faculties and, and some, some of the things that come out of their mouths or some of the things that they try to do are shocking. You know, instead of finding meaning... They find folly. They find foolishness. Thinking they'll find happiness, they're disappointed and frustrated. Now, again, I, didn't, I said I wasn't going to exploit anyone's issues or circumstances. But again, I, I, I believe God gives us these things for a reason. I'm actually going back to October of 2010 and a little article that I, I picked up on Charlie Sheen's exploits. It says here, looking as if he's fallen back into his old habits, reports tell us that cops were called to Charlie Sheen's room at the Plaza Hotel early Tuesday morning. According to the New York Post, the Two and a Half Men star was found drunk and naked, having completely trashed his hotel room upon finding his wallet missing after spending time with a mysterious lady. Insiders tell the security at the Plaza Hotel uh, that they called the police just after 2 a.m., which is when they found Sheen in this miserable state. Sources add that tables and chairs had been thrown around the room and the chandelier was all also damaged. Now, again, listen. Solomon did the research. He tried it. He tried to find fulfillment in wine 
and it only brought foolishness or folly. There's nothing more foolish than reading that article and understanding what alcohol will do to a person. When they use those mind-altering substances, when people do that in order to find meaning in life, they wind up grasping at the wind. They wind up finding only foolishness and folly in this life. And believe it or not, Solomon knew that. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 23. And I love the way Solomon actually gives his own commentary on this verse in Ecclesiastes. Proverbs 23, and beginning in verse 29. Now I am going to read from the New Living Translation in this because it really, really hits home. It says here in verse 29, Who has anguish? Who has sorrow? Who is always fighting? Who is always complaining? Who has unnecessary bruises? Who has bloodshot eyes? It's the one who spends long hours in the taverns trying out new drinks. Don't let the sparkle and the smooth taste of wine deceive you. For in the end, it bites like a poisonous serpent. It stings like a viper. You will see hallucinations and you will say crazy things. You will stagger like a sailor, sailor tossed at sea, clinging to a swaying mast. And you will say, they hit me. But I didn't feel it. I didn't even know when they beat me up. When will I wake up so I can have another drink? Wow. Now that's Solomon himself. Understanding, probably written after he tried liquor and alcohol and to see if that would bring satisfaction and understood what it actually brings. So we see that he tried, just to recap, we see he tried laughter and he tried alcohol and neither one worked. Neither one satisfies that deep longing in our soul. You know, after the momentary pleasure is gone, there's nothing left that endures. And guess what? After you wake up from that drunken stupor, your problems are still there. They may even be worse because of something you may have done in that state. People are always trying to fill the emptiness in their lives with stuff. And all of our worldly pursuits really only mask the problem. The real problem is that we don't put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The problem is that we're looking for all of these things in the wrong place. We're looking at these, we're looking for satisfaction and fulfillment in the things under the sun, the things in this world. When Jesus says in John 10:10, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly, that's where abundant life comes from, from our Lord and Savior. So we'll go on. We'll see the next step in Solomon's research in verses 4 through 6. It says, I made my works great. I built myself houses. I planted myself vineyards. I made myself gardens and orchards. And I planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made myself water pools from which to water the growing trees of the grove. 
How many times you see the word my, myself, my, myself, I made myself, I made myself, I made my works great, Solomon said. You think there's some pride there, maybe. And all of these projects that Solomon did were designed to give meaning to Solomon's life. You know, in the New Living Translation, it says, I also tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself and by planting beautiful vineyards. So that was his motivation for doing all of that. The motivation was not to glorify God. It was to glorify himself. So Solomon tried to build himself satisfaction. And I think a lot of people, again, attempt to do that today. They get involved in projects. They get lost in building things under the sun in this world. They bury themselves in something that just takes all of their time, all of their energy, thinking that if they don't think about the really important things in this world, then they'll find satisfaction. But they don't. And look at the contrast. I want you to turn to 1 Kings. And just hold your finger in 1 Kings because we're going to go back and forth a little bit just to see what Solomon did in 1 Kings chapter 6. Because I wanted you to see the contrast between the, Solomon's priorities. Because sometimes we get our priorities mixed up. And Solomon was no different. At the very last verse of 1 Kings 6, in verse 38... It says, so he was seven years in building it. Seven years in building the temple. Seven years. Which sounds like a long time to build the temple. And then in uh, in chapter 7, right, the next chapter, in verse 1 and 2, it says, but Solomon took 13 years to build his own house. So he finished all his house. He also built the house of the forest of Lebanon. Its length was 100 cubits. Its width, 50 cubits. Its height, 30 cubits. With four rows of cedar pillars and cedar beams on the pillars. And on and on in description of Solomon's house. So where are our priorities? Where were Solomon's priorities? Are we spending twice as much time on things of ourselves than we do on the things of God? I think we can all ask that question. Now, when it speaks about this building, Solomon's houses, there was a main palace complex. It consisted of various buildings used for residences and places to hold meetings and large gatherings, to have parties and courts of judgment And I wanted you to hold your finger in 1 Kings because I want you to go to chapter 10 as we get a record of what Solomon used in resources to build and furnish his beautiful and ornate homes. So in, in chapter 10, verse 14... Just follow along with me and get an idea, 
again, of, of all that Solomon did. It says here, the weight of gold that came to Solomon yearly was 666 talents of gold. In our measurements today, that's about 25 tons of gold yearly. Now that comes in to the king through taxes and tariffs and gifts. And then in verse 15 it says, Besides that from the traveling merchants, from the income of travelers, from all the kings of Arabia, and from the governors of the country, so all the taxes come in to the king. And King Solomon made 200 large shields of hammered gold. 600 shekels of gold went into each shield. He also made 300 shields of hammered gold. Three minas of gold went into each shield. And the king put them in the house of the forest of Lebanon. Now listen to this description of his throne. In verse 18, Moreover, the king made a great throne of ivory and overlaid it with pure gold. The throne had six steps, and the top of the throne was round at the back. There were armrests on either side of the place of the seat, and two lions stood beside the armrests. Twelve lions stood there, one on each side of the six steps, Nothing like this had been made for any other kingdom. All King Solomon's drinking vessels were like this. Uh, I'm sorry. All of King Solomon's drinking vessels were gold, and all the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were pure gold. And listen, not one was silver, for this was accounted as nothing in the days of Solomon. So, no, no silver for me. Just gold. <laughs> Certainly no styrofoam. For the king had merchant ships at sea with the fleet of Hiram. And once every three years, what these merchant ships would do, they would go around the known world and they would gather up everything they could and they would bring it back to King Solomon. It says, once every three years, the merchant ships came bringing gold, silver, ivory, apes, and monkeys. So he had his own zoo. <laughs> and then it says in verse 23, so King Solomon surpassed all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom. So, listen, Solomon had it all. We can't sit here and say, well, if I had all of the resources available to me, I could eventually find happiness. You'll never have what Solomon had. You'll never have it. And we see that Solomon went crazy, building several homes. Everything is plural there, homes and, and, uh, and uh, vineyards and orchards. One wasn't enough. Very ornate, very beautiful. He had so much money he couldn't even spend it on. And in the midst of all of that, he still wasn't happy. He still wasn't happy. So we've seen laughter. We've seen liquor. We've seen building projects. We've seen possessions. All that Solomon tried. And now his search for meaning in life continues. Back to Ecclesiastes 2. In verses 7 and 8, it says, I acquired male and female servants and had servants born in my house. Yes, I had greater possessions of herds and flocks than all who were in Jerusalem before me. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the special treasures of kings and of the provinces. I acquired male and female singers, the delights of the son of, sons of men, and musical instruments of all kinds. Now, I need to bring you to 
another translation of verse 8. Because in the New King James and in the King James, we don't really see what Solomon's talking about. Where he says, I acquired male and female singers, the delights of the sons of men. That, that little phrase, the delights of the sons of men, are not, it's not talking about the male and female singers. And it's not talking about the musical instruments of all kinds that comes after that. Solomon, I think, was being a little sneaky here. He's just fit that in between those two. And in most other translations, it's, I had many beautiful concubines. Concubines. Now, the delights of the sons of men could mean anything. But in the original, it really means he tried to fill his life with sex as much as he could get. And that sounds like it might work. You know, and certainly we've seen that used in today's, in, in, in today's uh, world. We've seen a lot of people try to fill their lives with that. And in back in verse 7, when he says, I acquired male and female servants, certainly if he had all the houses and the gardens and the vineyards and, and everything, he would need people, he would need staff to maintain it and to tend to it all. And he had all the pleasures that money could buy. And he writes of his possessions of great flocks and of herds. And that's like in today's day and age having a 15-car garage with all the fancy cars that you want. You know, all the wealth that he had could just purchase anything. And in case you were wondering, Solomon wanted to let us know that he had more than all than were in Jerusalem before him. So again, his pride comes up. And so he hired singers, it says in verse 8. And that's more like saying, I had, instead of going to a concert, the concert came to Solomon. So he had singers, entertainers on his payroll at all times. He could call on them day and night and just get up and say, okay, I want a concert. And that would happen. And he had musical instruments, so he could hear a, a beautiful orchestra play at any time he wanted to. But none of it worked. The singers, the music, the servants, none of it worked. And he did try one more experience with pleasure to see if that would satisfy the deep longing in his soul. And that was, as I mentioned before, it was sexual exploits. It's interesting, I, I find, that Solomon slips that in without us really realizing it. And especially since that was his really his great downfall, was women. And to give you a perspective, remember, you're holding your finger in 1 Kings? Go to, go to chapter 11. I want to just read two verses. If you don't go there, that's okay. Because you, you really have to have a perspective on what he meant by that. To satisfy his life with several concubines. It says in verse 3 of chapter 11 in 1 Kings, And he had 700 wives princesses, and 300 concubines. And the wives turned away his heart. This was Solomon's downfall. 
Solomon had a thousand women at his beck and call at any time, any time he wanted to. And it was obviously against God's law, but he became so self-absorbed and egotistical that he went to extremes to satisfy his fleshly appetites. He went to extremes in every way he could. You know, again, I don't want to exploit. Charlie Sheen travels with two women that he calls goddesses. I, I think he thinks himself as a god when he does that. You know, this playboy mentality isn't anything really new. Solomon tried it all. I think he tried it more than any ever could. 700 wives, 300 concubines. So again, he tried wealth. He tried entertainment, alcohol, and women. And none of it could satisfy that emptiness, the emptiness inside of Solomon. In verses 9 and 10 in Ecclesiastes 2, as we finish up, he tells us that he tested all these things to see if they would satisfy his desire for fulfillment. He kept his eyes clear and sharp so that he could record all of his research. It says, So I became greater than any of the kings who ruled in Jerusalem before me, and with it all I remained clear-eyed so that I could evaluate all these things. Anything I wanted, I took. I did not restrain myself from any joy. I even found great pleasure in hard work and additional reward for all my labors. So again, Solomon did the research. He gained a great level of fame, and that didn't work. Many people think that fame and, and fortune will bring happiness into their lives, but it doesn't. And this account 3,000 years ago is really no different than what we see today. Ray Steadman again writes in his commentary, he was able to assess the value of things as he went along his journey. He didn't totally lose himself in the wild search for pleasure. He was able to look at himself and evaluate as he went along. He tried everything. He didn't miss or set aside anything in his quest. And it even says that he took delight in his hard work. He saw the payoff, although it was short-lived. Temporary enjoyment in the pleasures of this world under the sun, but it didn't endure. And it's all about choices that we make. It's all about choices in this life. It's all about evaluating what's really important. It's all about not searching for significance, not seeking after satisfaction in the things of this world. It says in Hebrews 11, the chapter, the faith chapter in the Bible, by faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Moses chose to forsake the fame and fortune that he could have had in Egypt, living in Pharaoh's palace. Instead, he chose to be counted among the faithful of God. Do you choose to be counted among the faithful? And does that mean that God does not want us to enjoy life? That's probably the question that we could ask ourselves after hearing all that. Does God just want to 
is God a killjoy? Is God telling us, don't do this, don't do that? No. No, he wants us to have pleasure beyond our wildest imaginations. Because our existence is not measured by the things that we don't do. Our existence is not measured by the things that we don't have. God loves us, and he wants us to have enjoyable and pleasurable lives. And I'm not here to tell you that Solomon's search didn't bring pleasure into his life, for they did, for the moment. But those things don't last. They don't provide true happiness. In verse 11, Solomon writes, But as I looked at everything I'd worked so hard to accomplish, it was all meaningless. It was all vanity. It was like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. How many of us want to continue to chase the wind for meaning and satisfaction? How many of us will continue to deny God's provision for an abundant life in Jesus Christ and continue to search the things of this world that will only leave us lacking and frustrated? One more example from something modern, just to give us perspective and to bring it into, uh, into application. Uh, Shia LaBeouf, he's an actor, uh, pretty popular, I guess. I don't really know him that much, a young guy. One of the biggest box office stars, I guess, of our, of our generation. He was interviewed, and he says, I, I, I uh, listen to this quote. He says, I know I'm one of the luckiest dudes in America right now, LaBeouf says. I have a great house. My parents don't have to work. I've got money. I'm famous. But it could all change, man. It could go away. You never know. Sometimes I feel I'm living a meaningless life, he says, and I get frightened. Most actors on most days don't think they're worthy. I have no idea where this insecurity comes from, but it's a God-sized hole, he writes. If I knew, I'd fill it, and I'd be on my way. Wow, that's pretty good insight. It's pretty good insight. I think he says it well. There is a God-sized hole in each and every one of us. But the Bible tells us how we can fill that hole. And even in Ecclesiastes, Solomon, after all of his research, he eventually comes to that conclusion. Just turn with me to chapter 12 in Ecclesiastes. And see what Solomon says. In verse 13 and 14. Because it's about filling that God-sized hole, either with God, who fills it completely and perfectly, or with other things that don't fill it, that don't satisfy. It says in verse 13, Let us hear the conclusion of this whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. This is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. It's all about a relationship with God. The secret of satisfaction in this life is to trust that God knows best 
and to lean entirely on him. What are you resting on? What have you rested on for your whole life? And Solomon also realized that although it's commonly said that death is the great equalizer, Solomon says, no, judgment is the great equalizer. The Bible says that it is appointed for man to die once and then comes the judgment. For those who reject, reject God and his answer for life's meaning, they will stand before God and give an account for their rejection of Jesus Christ. But no one needs to do that. You know, Solomon's record is clear. Life under the S-U-N is hopeless, tedious, and meaningless. But life under the S-O-N is complete, fulfilling, and satisfying. His father, King David, writes in Psalm 16, You will show me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And he also writes in in Psalm 36, How precious is your loving kindness, O God! Therefore the children of men can put their trust under the shadow of your wings. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house, and you give them to drink from the river of your pleasures. That's where our pleasure comes from. They're not to be found in the things of this world. They are to be found in Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask Dave to come up as we close, and just as uh, before we, as believers, partake in communion, And I'm going to give an opportunity for anyone who is still seeking for satisfaction in the things of this world, in the things of this life.